Welcome everyone to Brandon, Nick, and Derek's annual end of the year movie podcast. We're here and we're going to break down our top 10 movies of 2016. I'm Nick. I'm in Marysville, Washington right now. Uh, on my left, we've got Brandon Bowlby. Hey guys. Where are you at, Brandon? Oh, I'm in uh, New York City right now. Yeah, see, we're not really next to each other, but we're going to pretend that we are. Um, Derek's on Brandon's left. Hi. I'm in Los Angeles, California right now. Cool. I don't know about you guys, but 2016 was a, probably my best year of watching movies. I saw Same. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice. I saw 126 movies this year. <sighs> wow. Jeez. Yeah. You got me beat, Nick. I'm pretty upset about that. But, uh, yeah, I'm at 120 movies. That's still freaking amazing. Um, we were talking about before we came on air about how I may have seen more movies than you, but you've seen more better movies than me. <laughs> yeah, the 120 movies I saw were better than your 126 movies you saw. So, <laughs> who's the winner? So, like, I don't know how we would figure that out, but, like, Maybe if we took like all the Rotten Tomato scores of all of our movies and like broke it down into an average, your average would be better than mine or something. I'd put money on it. <laughs> I think so. Derek, how many movies did you see this year? I saw fifty-four. Pretty proud of that number. Hey, fifty-four is still really good. Yeah, I mean it's still by far. Well, maybe not by far, but it's still my biggest year of uh, new movies, at least. What were you at last year? Like twenty-six. Ooh. Or something like that. So you more than double. I know almost almost half of the new movies I saw were on my top ten list last year. It's crazy, like how uh, many movies come out. It's just like, and I mean, fifty four is still a lot of movies. I feel like that's still more than probably most people saw. But yeah, twenty sixteen was a really good year for movies. So yeah, it seemed like every week there was just something else that was worthwhile. Didn't we have yeah. an exceptionally bad summer season, though, as well? Yes. On top of it? Um, yeah, it was know, kind of a weird, like, not very balanced year at all, but... Yeah, a lot of flops coming out. Yeah, there were a lot of big, like, blockbuster flops, but I don't know, everyone said the summer was bad, but I saw a bunch of really good indie movies this summer, so I don't know, I felt like I had a really good summer at the movies. Yeah, I think it was just the tent poles, like looking at the slate of big budget movies that came out that I think people were kind of like hoping were going to be good or do good money, and they just weren't. There's like a long slew of them for a long time. But for I think sure. indies, indies th- all throughout the year were just solid. Cool. So uh, should we d- dig into this and do our do our top ten? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So uh, one thing that we're doing different this year is that we're going to take a cue from the the top ten movie podcast uh, with uh, John Roca and Matt Nost, and we're going to do uh, the punt feature. So if there's a movie that's earlier on that someone has later on, they shout punt, and we're going to skip it and come back to talk about it later. So we're not repeating ourselves, and we're going to just talk about a movie once when it comes up further down on the list. Anyway, so let's get started. Uh, Brandon, what's your number number 10 movie of the year? Oh, all right. Um, so now my number 10 is a film called Arrival. Punt? Uh, oh. Yeah, punt. <laughs> punt for sure, man. Double punt. All right, all right. Damn it, I was all wound up and ready to go. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. So now All we right. have to wait to talk about it to, okay. for who knows how long. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. So, Derek, what's your number 10? So my number 10 was the Neon Demon. Punt. Ooh. Punt. Wow. Okay. Really? Yeah, that's how does it surprising. feel? How does oh, it that's feel? so cool. <laughs> that's actually really exciting. I didn't think you guys would have this on your list at all. Oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, uh, my number 10 was Green Room. Punt. Punt. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> out of here. Okay, so first round, all punts. So uh, now we're going to go to number nine. So, Brandon, what was your number nine? Um, Could Run the Two Strings. Uh, it's my number nine film. I was completely blown away by this movie. It, like, shocked me at how gorgeous the animation was. Um, I wish it had won at the Oscars. Um, it really, like, you know, reminded me of some of, like, the best Hayao Miyazaki films. Um, Spirited Away, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, and... This uh, will go down as one of my favorite animated, animated films of all time. Nice, man. Uh, yeah, I loved Cubo and the two, two Strings. It definitely was in my top 20. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't crank the top 10, but... It was totally teetering like on my number 10 spot, for sure. Nice. Yeah, there's just so much magic in this movie. And it just uh-huh. like kept progressing all the way until the very end. And I, like, I could not believe um, you know, how much inspiration they took from just some of the best Miyazaki films. It was really amazing to watch. And I agree with you completely. The animation was just something else. And like when he was playing, when he played the guitar and the paper would fly around, like the first scene, just so, so amazing. Yeah, like the, from the moment I saw um, him come out of like the rock cliff and they, uh, they went with that like huge epic um, establishing shot of the sunset. Like, from that first scene, it just set up how far they were going to go to get, like, the visuals they wanted. Yeah, it's one of those movies that's, like, is really easy to be universally praised. But also, like, it felt, to me, like, the big animated movie that you saw as a kid that, like, really launched, like, that, like, the exploration into, like, animated movies for you. Like, Like, I just remember as a kid, like, seeing Lion King and how impactful that movie was on like the rest of my life and like kind of felt i got that same kind of feeling from it like if i was a kid watching it it would be like life-changing for me totally yeah, yeah that company is this uh Leica? is that what they are um yeah. entertainment they're definitely this generation's disney pixar and it was it was really cool before the, I don't know if it was on the version that you guys saw but when I watched it on DVD they had before the movie started they had kind of like a behind the scenes feature for some reason but it was like really inspiring seeing them sh- like they had like puppetry but then they animated on top of it and it was really cool seeing that even before I watched the movie and I was just it had it kind of helped me go into the movie with like already an awe you know yeah realizing how much of it wasn't like on a computer and CGI and how much is just them frame by frame moving arms and mouths and heads around. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that's number brands. Number nine was Cuba and the two strings. So Derek, what was your number nine? My number nine was Deadpool. Awesome. Ooh. Mm, no uh, yeah, I mean, this, this movie was just so, it was unconventional yet very conventional. Like, it, it took a, it was a very like different kind of movie that shouldn't on paper people never really thought it would work really well 
But I think they took like the conventional approach to telling an origin story and was able to just make something completely new out of it. And obviously it resonated with everybody because it was the biggest R-rated movie of all time. Just in general, people seem to really like it. Like it, you know, it, it took itself exactly as serious as everybody had hoped. And it was it was clever. It had a lot of heart. It's just really wonderful, really inspiring to see all these guys that put so much time and effort into that movie for, you know, like 10 years or whatever. What you were saying about it being conventional, like from beginning to end, the overall storyline is super basic and super standard. But they're able to like inject in every single scene just so much like creativity and humor throughout that super conventional storyline that it turned into just this weird thing you've never seen before. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And like, I mean, when I saw in theaters, the whole theater was laughing. It was completely full and everyone was laughing. And then the violence was like so good, (laughs) you know, it was like so bloody, but like awesome and wonderful. Yeah, me too. So that's my, that's my number nine for the year. Cool. My number nine was Hunt for the Wilder People. No puns? Nope. No puns. Well, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is an incredibly unique wild ride of a movie. Uh, The main character, Ricky Baker, he's a misunderstood, troublemaking, wannabe gangster of a kid. And he moves in with a foster family near the bush. And uh, he experiences really love for the first time. It's just, it's an incredibly heartfelt, super fun, hilarious movie. And, you know, it's, it's like... I don't know, Sam Neill's in it, and he's got, like, this rugged beard attitude, and, I don't know, just, this movie is, like, it toes that line so well of being, like, ridiculous, but also, like, really heartfelt. So, uh, I loved it. I feel like this is, uh, this is good payback for my last year's What We Do in the Shadows. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, like... We we did a good, like, swap on whatever this director's name, Taki Watiti, or... Um, Taika Waititi. Yeah, uh, we did definitely yeah. did a swap each year on uh, loving one of his movies. Yeah, I didn't really love uh, uh, what we do in the shadows too much, so I was I was actually yeah. kind of nervous going into this one, like thinking like, oh, hopefully I like this movie, and then I mean it was totally different, and uh, it was just I just loved it so much. I've seen it a couple times now, and it it just got better the second time I saw it. Nice, awesome, cool. So, Brandon, what's your number eight? Number eight is Manchester by the Sea. Oh, that's my number eight. Yeah. Oh, cool. we're on the same same level with that one. <laughs> Did Derek not see it? No, I saw it. Oh. Oh. Well, I just didn't make your list. Jeez. Wow. Crowd. <laughs> not impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, Manchester by the Sea was by far the saddest film of the year. Uh, but because it was like also the most realistic movie of the year and it was just dealing with the absolute parental depression, like Casey Affleck's character, he just cannot cope with his own memories associated with the physical environment of his home, but he like has to step up and pick up responsibility, go back there and deal with the people and the environment and the setting. And I mean, it's, it's a difficult and demanding movie, but it's incredibly realistic. Like, it was one of the most realistic movies I feel like I've ever seen. Totally agree. I mean, like, even to the point, like, in the climax when um, 
he confronts his uh, his ex-wife on the street. The movie is shot with like such realism that when that scene is unfolding, like it's hard to tell how good the acting actually is, just because you've never seen people um, respond to emotion yeah. in that way. And then yeah. like halfway through the scene, you realize that these are people who just like who actually don't want to cry in front of people and who are holding it in like you would normally yeah. do if you ran into like your ex on the street. It's just such like anti. I guess anti-acting. I don't know. It works so well. Yeah, it's like every character was just bundling up all of their pain. And, I mean, for me, I, I really like the stuff where, like, there was a scene where he punched a window. He was just looking outside at the bay, and then he punched the window and, like, broke the window. And for me, it's like a lot of the movie is just this battle with his inner demons associated with Manchester by the Sea, the place. You know, you don't really you don't really see that on film or really in real life too much of because people bottle it up in real life and on film it's like I mean I'm sorry but it's it's kind of like you, it could be perceived as like a boring movie because of how realistic it is. I don't know. I thought the pacing was really well and the characters were just so good that I mean I thought it was just really compelling. That's some also some pretty good humor like spaced out through it. Some like genuine humor that wasn't trying to be like forced on you and I really appreciated that. There's a yeah, handful I mean, there's, of times when there's I was humor in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, Derek, uh, what was your number eight then? My number eight was Swiss Army Man. Punt? Punt oh. for sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay, for good. sure. Good. <laughs> so, yeah, my number eight was also Manchester Bassey. So, we're going to go right back to Brandon. What was your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Green Room. Punt. Punt it. Punt it. Punting yeah, Green Room at number seven. Oh, it's still going I, up. I, I, wow. feel like I, I feel like I punted Green Room for you already. Wait, he, punted it, he punted it for me. I had a number 10. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So both of you guys punted me. So. Damn it. That was one I wanted to talk about. All right. I'll talk about it later. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> oh, <there>. okay. <laughs> Sorry. That, that, that went over my head. Like, I didn't understand what you guys were talking about just now. Okay. I got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, uh, so then we're going to go to Derek. Uh, what was your number seven? My number seven was Sing Street. Awesome. Nice. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, Sing Street for me was just, it was really special. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be one of those movies that hangs around me my whole life. I'll show my kids and stuff. It's a really great musical. It's kind of, you know, I was never a big fan of Grease, but I feel like it's going to be what Grease was to my parents, like to me. I definitely, like, they had me watch it a lot of times as a kid and stuff. And I just, it was so much fun. And its themes mirrored things that, like, were really personal to me. So it just, like, tugged on every heartstring, like, throughout the whole movie. And it was such a great showcase of John Carney's, like, two big passions, his love for music and his love for film. These two things just colliding in this amazing expression of his artistic sensibilities and stuff. It was just a really great... I, just, I love everything about it. The soundtrack is so good. And it's yeah. just a great, 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 great... Definitely uh, got robbed coming um, of age film. at the Oscars. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah, I mean, it was like an indie movie song. that no one really paid attention to. Yeah, no, that movie is so fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the music is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I listen to the soundtracks like on the daily. It's so nice. good. Oh, well, I haven't even thought about doing that. I'm gonna add that to my Spotify up, right they now. Hold up, really well. Just like, is it just like the five songs? Own. Yeah, yeah. I usually just listen to like I don't love all the songs in it, so I usually just listen to a couple of the big ones. But yeah, cool. It's good. We'll it's really sure. good. Um, so then we're gonna go to my number seven. My number seven was the lobster. 
Lobster is a strange and interesting film. Uh, it's a lot of metaphors. Like, it's about relationships, societal expectations, loneliness, love, and lust. You know, it's like in this unique dystopian future. Uh, it's awkward. All the characters are searching for their meanings, and they have these weird interactions with each other. But, uh, you know, coming from the film, like, if looking at the film, you could there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of... Uh, existential things that you can talk about and debate over and really like just depending on where you are in your life i feel like you can see the movie a different way yeah i love the lobster i i left the theater kind of like kind of in days and it kind of sent me into like an existential spin for a few days afterwards so yeah it was like a really powerful movie for me for so. me the lobster is on my need to rewatch list because so many people liked it a lot, and it didn't impact me very much the first time I watched it. And if I had had more time, it would have been one of the three movies I want, really wanted to check out again. I'm kind of in the same boat as Brandon, but actually, like hearing it be on your list kind of makes me want to rewatch it more. Like it was good. Like I didn't really have any issues with it, but yeah, it just kind of came and went for me, and I feel like I must have just missed, or it just went straight over my head. It was too much or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it definitely, like, hit me pretty... I don't know, for me, I saw it in the theater in the middle of the, in the, middle of the summer and then just kind of, like, thought about it for, like, a week straight. <laughs> you know, like, that was, like, all I was thinking about. I mean, I remember, like, the next day, I was, like, I went on, like, a walk by myself listening to music, and then I met up with some friends, like, after walking around for two hours, and one of my friends was, like... You look like you just saw the lobster, and I mean, he knew that he had seen it, but he, like, he just like that was the first thing he said to me. It was like I had a look about me that I was like yeah, that lobster looking deep, deep in thought or something, you know. So yeah, that movie like sent me for a spin. It's like, amazing, I, and I know yeah, my brother saw it and he did the same thing you did. I mean, he like freaked out and tried to show everybody, and it really hit him hard too. So I'll be watching that soon for sure again. Okay, so Brandon, you're number six. My number six is Neon Demon. This movie is insane. Um, it really reminded me of like movies I got really into in like late high school, and when I was exploring like what style is all about in films, like a good David Lynch film and whatnot. Um, but also, this film has some of the best cinematography I've seen all year, and that that always gets me. That's always one of the most enjoyable yeah. things for me to watch in movies. It's also terrifying and intense like i remember at one point maybe a half hour in i was watching this in a friend's big living room and i was just like i stood up from the couch and grabbed two pillows and walked up to the tv and like laid down like <laughs> two feet away from the screen um, just because like this moment happened and i was realized i needed to be fully invested for the next like two hours to finish up this film yeah this film like impacted me a lot and i haven't seen anything quite like it in a long time i'm so glad that somebody else had this movie on their list i wasn't sure how much you guys liked it uh so it was also my number 10 but yeah i kind of just second everything brandon said it was really nice after it was uh, only god forgives nicholas wending Refn's last movie just kind of like really bland i did not get into it at all it's kind of cool to see you know, it was just kind of a misstep, but he still has, like, those skills that we saw in Drive. 
and uh, a lot of his older movies. Like, Brandon, you just talking about, like, you having to move closer to the screen and stuff. He has, like, a, he has, like, a really, this is, like, a common thing, I feel like, in his movies, where when he's doing something really intense, and he's really good at, like, picking, like, very specific moments during the movie where, like, right here, I'm going to grab you and, like, pull you in real tight, so, like, hang on. And they're and few, like, they're yeah, few and far movie. between as well. Like, in no way sure. is this movie a horror film, but, like, I don't think there's been any other movie this year, like, that has had those two or three moments that has just, like, made my heart stop. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most visually, like, poetic films I saw all year, for sure. I also want to give a shout-out to Keanu Reeves in that movie for being, like, a really <laughs> terrifying and intimidating apartment manager. <laughs> For sure. I I, like, that. What you guys said about the lobster is kind of how I am with Neon Demon. I feel like if I had seen it in the theater, I probably would have a little bit of a different experience. Oh, because, yeah. I don't know, like I kind of turned it on casually. It was like a Saturday afternoon. I turned it on, and then it wasn't until like you know half an hour in that I was like, this movie is crazy. Like It's beautiful, <laughs> and it's like intense. But like what's happening? Is this like I kind of had to like keep asking myself and and I definitely like I definitely want to watch it again. Yeah, not an afternoon but, movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just like the lobster and other movies though too, I feel like there's a lot to unpack and there's like like a lot in that movie that you could debate over. Like I even think that the three of us were talking about the ending. We were arguing about like supernatural elements. <laughs> like, oh, right, end, right. like and who knows? Like that's something yeah. that I mean I don't really want to get into it right now because spoilers and stuff but definitely was a powerful movie yeah Mm -hmm. cool so derek what was your number six my number six was captain america civil war all right (laughs) wow it's so high yeah i so this is definitely the movie i've watched the most this year too i've seen it four times whoa (laughs) and (laughs) it's just the best like, the Russos are just casually making these $200 million blockbusters that are just, like, expertly crafted, just from the plot to these incredible action scenes that are not just creative and cool for Marvel movies, but somehow, and especially with this movie, for the first time ever, maybe since, like, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, they're able to emulate the experience of reading a comic book action scene, but you're watching it. Arguably the best comic book movie ever. Nice, dude. Uh, I don't have it in my top 10, but it definitely was in my top 20. I haven't seen it four times, so I've seen it three times. I love it. Like, I mean, for me, like, all-time comic book movie, that's, like, hard to say because, like, yeah. I don't know, I kind of feel like the MCU came along, changed a lot. And I think it's absolutely the best MCU movie. It just, it culminates so many characters and storylines that we've been waiting for. Seeing Captain America and Iron Man fight each other in a real emotional way, like, actually, like, hit me pretty hard. We've been following these guys for, you know, years now, seeing their ideologies come, like, head to head and not back down and really, really go at it. I thought it was really powerful. Yeah, there. It's weird to say, but I feel like it's cool to see like the biggest of them 
come out and be so character driven. Like you can tell that's the most important thing when you're watching that movie is uh, that they, they want to assert, like do justice to all these characters, not just from like a comic book fan standpoint, but from like a viewer just standpoint of like, we go to movies to watch like characters evolve and change and like go through hard times. And they really, really make sure that they're not like skipping out on that stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's really cool to see, like, a big franchise that's pumping out three movies a year is uh, paying attention to that stuff. Yeah, and I think it totally paid off. Like, I mean, like I said, I thought it was emotional. <laughs> and, I mean, it's cool yeah. how, like, their their uh, big action scenes were jaw-dropping. You know, like, the airplanes, yeah. the airport scene was, like, amazing. But, like, yeah. the small moments where they're just hanging out, talking to each other, were also really amazing, too. So, yeah. Um, my number six was The Handmaiden. Have you guys seen The Handmaiden? Yeah, absolutely. I have not. That one was like teetering in my top ten. but didn't. Yeah, The Handmaiden was my first Park Chan-wook film, and it completely blew me away. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it in the theater, but I wish I had. Uh, it might have even been higher if I had seen it in the theater. But it's a beautiful, twisted, psychological thriller. And I really don't have too much to say about it because I feel like so much of everything about it is like wrapped in spoilers. Yeah. The story like plays with perspective in a way that's like totally unique and it keeps the audience like engaged but guessing and like confused. It just it's a really, really interesting movie. It's like, um, oh, I get this movie. I know what's happening. What what? And then you have no idea what's no happening. No idea yeah. what's happening. Oh wait, okay, I think I get it again. Alright. This is uh this yeah. is what they're doing. What? Even saying that is like almost a spoiler. Like I don't even want to like say too much about it because it's like it's so fascinating how the movie plays out. So uh The Handmaiden, it's a great, great movie, recommend it to anybody. It's definitely one I really, really wanted to watch and just never got around to it yet. I'll probably be watching it really soon though. So uh, now we're at number, we're our top five. So, uh, Brandon, what was your number five? My number five is OJ Made in America. This is, for me, one of the best documentaries. So, what? So that's a movie to you. Yeah, of course it's a movie to me. It is a movie to the <laughs> okay. people who made it. And, okay. uh, it's an eight-hour movie, that's you know, fine. The Oscars think it's a movie as well. <laughs> it played in theaters as a film. Yeah, uh, I feel like this is one of the best documentaries ever made. I feel like I'd be doing my list injustice if one of the best documentaries ever made wasn't in the top 10. Um, There's just no way of getting past it for me every time I think about it. I watched this movie in like two days, all seven and a half hours, because I was so immersed in this story. Uh, I knew nothing about the O.J. Charles before this. The amount of like detail and the amount of time spent on this story, I feel like it's just the only option to do it justice. And I'm so glad it was seven and a half hours long, and I wish it was longer. Uh, yeah, man, I agree completely. Uh, it's one of the best documentaries ever made. Like, it's powerful. It, like... It, it tells every detail, the rise and fall, and then rise and fall again, kind of, like, of OJ, and how it ties into race in our country, and, like, how it relates to people and why it was such a big deal. Like, it was so powerful. Yeah, putting uh, L.A. as, like, the center of the story and, like, teaching about its history and past and how it came to be, or, like, yeah. what it was in the 90s. I agree. Like, it was... It was one of the best documentaries ever made. I just, I just had issues with it. To me, it didn't feel like a movie. It felt like a miniseries. 
I just couldn't put it on my list because I just felt like it wasn't really a movie. But, you know, the Academy Awards said it was a movie, so, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to watch it just because everyone, well, I mean, the praise of it is pretty, like, it's hard to just say, eh, I'm not going to watch the best documentary ever made. It's just it's so long and I've seen so much, like, so many OJ things. It's definitely, like, going to slowly sink into my list of things to watch, but right now it's just, like, seven and a half hours. Sounds like, really intimidating. What, <laughs> OJ, what other OJ things have you seen? Like, did you watch The People vs. OJ this year, or...? Yeah. Yeah, I watched okay. all of that. See, I haven't watched that yet, and I heard that's really good. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm yeah. clamoring for more OJ, though. Like, I felt like the documentary was so good, I can't wait to watch, like, a dramatic retelling of it. I'm sorry, it flies by. It's really interesting. I mean, that's what I keep hearing about it. Yeah, and there's a lot of unseen footage that's kind of only in that movie, so. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying not like to use footage. the word binge watch because that's a very much television word. <laughs> uh, but I, you should I, binge watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, the singular movie I binge watched. But I did binge watch that. I, mean, I watched like four hours each day and could not yeah. stop. Uh, Derek, what was your number five? My number five was Hell or High Water. Nice. Awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was kind of one of the earlier, I feel. Actually, I don't know exactly when it came out, but I feel like uh, this and The Green Room, I feel like were kind of the first big indie movies that I really started hearing about this year. Yeah, they were it came out of, in the late summer. Yeah. But anyways, the reason why I liked it, it was a really fascinating movie. It was like, uh, to me, it really felt like a Western. It was really smart exciting like it was surprisingly smart i wasn't expecting like a really cool uh smart plot to these guys that kind of look dumb you know but that's kind of part of the point of the movie too uh all the performances were great it's look and feel were so familiar to like those old uh westerns so i used to watch as like a kid and stuff and so just to see them totally capture that essence of that genre but keep its contemporary like setting uh, one of the most impressive movies I saw this year. So that was yeah, my number five. I really liked the under the radar kind of subtle bank storyline that was going on throughout that movie and their property yeah. and everything. Um, that, yeah, like you were sure. saying, that was a really, really smart way to tell the story. Yeah, it was really cool that movie got nominated for Best Picture, too. It kind of felt like it flew under the radar and it was just like a really just solid movie. Yeah. So um, my number five was Arrival. Punt. I feel like oh. it was a punt. <laughs> punt it. <laughs> Okay, cool. Shit. So rival keeps climbing. Five. Yep. So let's just go right to number four. Derek or Brandon, what was your number four? My number four was Jackie. Oh wow. <sighs> That's so high. Yeah, cool. man. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> this guy, Pablo Lorraine. I saw three of his films this year. The first one, uh, The Club, and then the second one being Naruda. Uh, both of those are Chilean films. Uh, this is his first English language film. Each one has been better than the last, and each one he's had a bigger budget than the last. This movie like surprised the hell out of me because I was not expecting anything from it at all. I was actually kind of turned off when I first heard the, uh, like about the making of this movie, I guess. Like a biopic about the assassination. Then as soon as I saw that first trailer, I was like, wow, there's something stylistically going on here that I'm really interested in. And the whole movie followed through with that. With things as subtle as just like a perfect cut that would just like shock the hell out of you to probably the one of the best scores I've heard in several years and absolutely one of the best performances I've ever seen 
and a movie that should be should have been so simple but just had so much style throughout the entire thing i loved it yeah man uh the first thing i said when that movie was done i saw it with your brother actually first thing i said when it was done was that movie was way better than it should have been i mean it did the biopic thing right where it told just one little piece of someone's life but they told it with such depth and complexity and they explored like all angles of it it just was jaw-droppingly amazing definitely made my top 20 but not my top 10 so have you seen it derek i have not okay well uh derek what was your number four so my number four was finally the green room all right cool yeah nice it's just like such a punk rock movie. <laughs> like, yeah. Just everything about it, like its whole demeanor and its whole attitude and the look, the feel, the story. It's just like this really awesome, weird horror movie where you're just kind of like stuck watching these horrifying things happen. One of my favorite movies of the year. Everyone in it's really great. I love, I can't remember. Oh, Jeremy Saulnier. Is that the director's name? Saulnier? Mm-hmm. I saw his. Uh, Blue Ruin was that like last year or the year before. I didn't like it quite as much as everyone else did, but Green Room definitely hit like really hard. This was my my number seven movie. I like what you're saying about it, like being a punk rock, but film um, version of that the way he uh the way he writes his movies is just like so anti-film and every (laughs) every single scene every single moment he possibly can his entire goal is just to like subvert your expectations of what is going to happen next and yeah it's such a big like fuck you to (laughs) filmmaking yeah that's what i mean is him writing a punk rock song (laughs) with a screenplay exactly yeah like every moment in that movie is just like fuck you Ooh, this is happening. Yeah, it's like I had that movie at number ten. I mean, I loved it. It was just the tension in it was so real. It had that unpredictability factor where, like, you strip didn't know what was going to happen at all. Like anything right. could have happened at any time, and like these characters were doing anything to survive while they were trapped and way over their heads. It was just straight up amazing. And the gore, the gore really was shocking. Really shocking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number four was Swiss Army Man. Yes. So, so uh, Derek, I think you had that earlier on on your list. Yes. Uh, for me, like 2016 was a year for like unique film. Swiss Army Man was straight up one of the most unique films ever made. Daniel Radcliffe was a farting corpse. And how could that movie be good? For the first like five minutes of the movie, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then all of a sudden it turned into, I'm completely on board. This is amazing. Daniel Radcliffe brought in a performance of a lifetime and he was just a farting corpse, but it was like his palette of nativity and just learning what the world was of feelings. And the way it was shot was so bizarre and had amazing physical effects and goofy and unforgettable soundtrack. I just love it. And also I'm a sucker for movies that you like question what's real or not. And that's what like the whole movie was. (laughs) Yeah. Including the ending. It's just, I love <laughs> yeah, that movie so much. I think everybody should see it. I'm not saying everyone will like it because there's a lot of fart jokes, but it's so good. <laughs> I mean, real quick, I, that, that movie is just so much more well-made than I guess it has any right to be. Like you were saying, there's just like a moment 15 minutes into the film where the directors of it just like drop this creative bomb on you. You're kind of like jolted back awake. And I... I was not expecting the like level of talent to be, I guess, so great in such a silly concept of a movie that I was watching. 
it was so it was my number eight. I second pretty much everything Nick said, but it was it was absolutely one of the most original, ambitious films I've ever seen. On paper, the material that makes you laugh or makes you sad in the movie should not work, but somehow just everything combined the way they did. I like that Nick brought up the music. Like the music's almost like meta in that movie too. If you really listen to it, sometimes it's commenting on what's happening on the oh, screen. Oh, there's the montage song. Like the mo- the montage yeah, yeah. song was my favorite <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, but then so they have like, like their own version of like the Jurassic Park theme song, and <laughs> it's it's fa- yeah that, that's. What I mean, like everything is just so much better than I could have ever expected, and I think that's kind of what makes it feel so ambitious to me. Like, who are these people that think that they can make farts and boners hilarious and like emotional parts to it? Yeah, special, like important things in this beautiful journey we're watching. It all culminates in just this amazing, artistic, beautiful story. So, I've seen this movie twice and I watched it. 10 minutes after it was over, I immediately grabbed Christina and our other roommate, forced them to watch it too. Because it was, <laughs> I it was love when so, that happens. It was so much fun. The second time, I just wanted to like watch somebody else have all that fun again. Yeah. That's happened to me yeah. like only with like yeah. three other movies before, but I know exactly yeah. that feeling. <laughs> I don't think it's yeah. ever happened to me where I watch a movie immediately after watching it. <laughs> That's really cool. Cool. So that that was my number four. So Brandon, uh, top three. Here we go. Uh, oh, what was wow. your number three movie of the year? Oh shit. Oh shit. This is a big one. Um, my number three is The Salesman. Salesman is an Iranian drama film. It actually won Best Foreign Film at the Oscars this year, which I was really yeah. really happy to see. This film is about an incident that happens to this woman in her new apartment she just moves into. What transpires from that, her husband trying to do some like self-investigating to try to get to the bottom of it. And the morality that kind of spawns from this one incident that happens early on in the film is really, really interesting and captivating. Also for me here, done in a setting... Iran, a place where is very different from what I know, what like kind of transpires from this one incident and the way everyone feels about it and the way everyone reacts to it is a really, really amazing, interesting film. I also know this director is pretty infamous now, like his last film, A Separation, won a lot of awards as well. And this guy is definitely someone to keep an eye out for. Did a separation really... win best foreign film also? I believe so, actually. Yeah, I think you're that. right about that. Yeah, I think I think you're right. He's won best best foreign film twice. Yeah, Brandon, I really want to see this movie. Uh, it didn't even open in Seattle though until after our like movie season was finished. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't even really have a chance for it to make my list. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Brandon's number three. So Derek, what was your number three? This is kind of out of left field. Okay, but my number three film is The Edge of Seventeen. <gasps> okay, awesome. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it was just another coming-of-age film, which I'm kind of a sucker for. It's really easy to please me with coming-of-age movies, especially when they're really well-made. And this movie was pretty impeccably well-made. I really liked everything about it, but what was really fascinating to me that made me keep thinking about it afterwards a lot was that it was kind of a unique perspective on the coming-of-age genre. It's not really that uplifting in the end it's not the breakfast club where it kind of makes you feel included in like this gang and like it's kind of just follows this girl's descent into the deepest depths of her angsty self-destructive nature what made me feel so good watching the film 
I think it's a lot like why people latch so tightly onto The Breakfast Club, because they see all these characters and there's different people that kind of make them feel included. You're like, oh, that person's like me. Some of the dialogue and stuff, they're just is so specific and so funny, yet so like deep. Everything really landed really well. All the performances are really great, and I highly, highly, highly recommend yeah. anyone that likes coming-of-age films to check it out. Yeah, my favorite part about the movie is, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but is kind of as it develops and you're trying to figure out, like, what is what is wrong? What's going on here? What are the, like, what's the issue that's supposed to be solved? You start realizing more and more that it's just, like, her fault. And right. you're like, oh, it's because she's like our main character is just a terrible human being. Like, yeah. all right. Uh, it's like a totally different perspective on having your like the hero of the film just actually be the one causing all their own problems. It's a different perspective for these this kind of like teen coming of age films that I liked a lot. For sure. And I feel like that's the perspective of like an angsty teen. Yeah, it's a more pretty just, truthful perspective, for sure. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't really seen that in these, you know, like the John Hughes era of coming-of-age movies that kind of overlapped. Yeah, it's, always the, it's always the bully's fault, or it's always the bully's problem. Right. Like. Yeah, I'm really excited to check out what else this... Uh, I didn't write down the director's name, but she's the writer and director of this film. I'm really excited to see what else she does. Yeah, I mean, you're selling me on it. I'll make sure I bump it up the, on my watch list. So yeah, that was uh, Derek's number three, uh, The Edge of 17. My number three was Don't Think Twice. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, like, I know I'm a little biased about Don't Think Twice just because Mike Birbiglia, he wrote and directed it and starred in it. And he's been my favorite comedian for years. As much as I love his comedy, I feel like he's increasingly becoming a better and better storyteller this film it's about you know improv troupe and their struggles with staying together and just making comedy the movie is so heartfelt and it showcases the importance of creativity of people and the struggles and what it means to be successful and what it means to like have talent and to exist in the world i don't know i just i loved this movie and it really stuck with me it was none of those movies where like i left talking about it i left thinking about it and for weeks and weeks on end me and shannon were just talking about this movie and quoting it and talking about the characters and moments that stuck with us. I just loved it. I felt like the characters were just believable and hilarious and the heart and the jokes were so real. So I just loved it. Totally. It's I really loved cool. it too. Uh, this movie came out pretty early in the year, right? Like I'm actually having troubles remembering why I liked it so much. But uh, yeah, this this will be on my like rewatch list because I remember having a blast yeah, I mean, I saw it in September or late August, so... Oh, yeah, I saw I saw it with Mike Birbiglia doing a Q&A right in front of me, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was at uh, BAM Cinemas. Um, oh, yeah, I sent you that tweet. I yeah. That. <laughs> awesome. I totally forgot so about that. So you, like, saw it way before anyone else did. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was definitely on his, like, pre-preview run where he started taking it on tour. This was actually the last movie I watched. This is oh, my really? number 54. I was expecting it to go on my list. It didn't make it on my list. Because, like you said, Mike Birbiglia is one of my favorite comics. And I'm loving everything he's doing with telling stories lately. And, like, his one-man shows and stuff. And so I was kind of expecting this movie to really, like, just be one of those movies that I just fall in love with. And for whatever reason, it, I liked it. But it just didn't, I don't know, it just didn't click with me that well. I feel like what a lot of people love about La La Land, I loved about this movie. 
You know, like yeah. it kind of gave me that similar kind of like, like I connected with the characters, I connected with their struggles, I connected with the choices that they were making and the importance of creativity in their lives. You know, all of that just really connected with me. Probably because it's Microbiblia and it's about jokes and not singing. I preferred it. I just, I loved it. So yeah, that was my number three. Brandon, what was your number two movie of the year? My number two is a little film called Moonlight. Oh, that was my number two also. Oh. That was my number two also. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. I thought that was going to be your guys' number ones. No. Oh, man, the pressure's wow. on. Cool. Well, oh, Brandon, yeah. I guess, start us off. Yeah, this film was, I remember it being so, like, small when it came out. It's incredible how far it's came in winning Best Picture. Yeah. Really happy for it. Yeah, this film emotionally really got to me. The way the story unfolds in three acts is incredibly unique. The movie is beautifully, beautifully shot, extremely well acted. It kind of hits every single point it needs to. And again, this movie had one of the best scores of the year. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like, honestly, when I first saw it, I walked out of the theater slightly disappointed. Just because, like, it's pretty simple. It's three parts of this kid's story growing up, told over a period of time. And I was just like, okay, yeah, it was, that's what it was. Oh, you know, it was a good, solid movie. Maybe not the best movie ever, but, you know, it it was solid. As the weeks went by... And I started seeing just like commercials for it or just seeing pictures of it, like brought back feelings. The movie stuck with me and I just kept thinking about it and it was really powerful. So beautifully shot and it may have been simple, but it told the story so perfectly. It was it was perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Moonlight is a masterpiece for sure. Regardless of how I ranked it, I actually think this is the best made movie of the year. Totally. I can totally understand that. In fact, I'm probably like the same kind of way. My number one choice is a really personal choice. Yeah, exactly. I think that Moonlight is like it should be an inspiration to all filmmakers and inspire them to be creative because I think it's such a great example of how an artistic vision and a unique perspective can propel and enhance the message. It's it so perfectly balances everything out. It's one of those movies that you should study in film class. It's just such yeah. a Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's so perfect. Do you guys know how much this movie cost? No. Yeah. $1.5 million. No! Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's like... Good for talk, them. Like, $1.5 million, that is unheard of. Like, how far movies have come and how cheap they can be made. This is, like, there's no excuse for anybody from now on um, to get any, anything less than, like, perfect. And that, that $1.5 has... million dollar movie won Best Picture, too. Yeah. Straight up, anyone with any sort of budget could make a movie that good. There's no excuse. Yep. Yep. I'm not saying anyone like could make that movie though because there was <laughs> no. talent with that. For me, I just have to say like the casting alone, it takes place in three different time periods, one character, but the actors, they were definitely the same character. It was just as believable as Boyhood. But Boyhood was authentically <laughs> made over that long of a time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I never drew the connection to Boyhood. Probably the, the biggest thing I take away from it, and I've kind of already said it a bit, I just want to <laughs> repeat it one more time. There's no excuse anymore. It should be the shining example to prove to anybody that just casually watches films that it is always, always, always better to have an artistic approach to telling a story. So many movies get made without giving a shit. Yeah. God, with $1.5 million, they were able to make that. Just by so many people, 
I hope, I know it won't, but I, I just wish so badly that everyone would take a lesson from that and apply it to all films going forward. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. So yeah, Moonlight. Moonlight's number two on all of our lists. Cool. Here we go. Uh, number one around the table. So starting with Brandon, what was your number one? I feel like I just went, but uh, <laughs> I'm, happy to, I'm happy to start our number ones. My number one is La La Land. Um, oh, wow. No punts? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this film to me is just filmmaking candy to my eyes. It's been a long time since I've like watched a movie where I'm just like grinning from ear to ear the entire time, just like marveling at what the director is doing from scene to scene. And it carries through like with everything, like predominantly the cinematography, that's 50% of why I enjoy films and it has it all here. The music the color, the comedy, it's all smart. To me, it was all above and beyond. And yeah, I loved every minute of it. Nice. Yeah, it's hard. It's as much of crap as people give La La Land for being Hollywood, patting itself on the back or whatever. When you're watching it, you can't deny the talent there. It's very, very artistic. And they do some really cool, really creative, awesome stuff in that movie for sure. I definitely am not on Team La La Land, but I definitely think it was a really good movie. Like, I was super happy that Damien Chazelle won Best Director. I was actually, yeah. like, really hoping yeah. that it was going to go that way and Moonlight would win Best Picture because it was a really well-directed movie and the cinematography was jaw-dropping and it was really, really fun. But it wasn't my favorite movie about Hollywood this year. Like, I preferred Hail Caesar. <laughs> but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Okay, Derek, so what's means, your number one? I think this means we're all going to have different number ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. And right. we do know what your number one is at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my number one, yeah, it's obviously Arrival. I think, I'm going to butcher his name, is it Denis Villeneuve? Villeneuve? Close. Anyways, I, like, I feel comfortable saying he's in the top five working directors right now. Yeah. He's just nails everything. He's so yeah. good. Every aspect of his films always delivers. And Arrival was just like another example. Yeah, I put it right up there. I'd, I'd actually say it was, I liked it more than Sicario, which was pretty high on my list last year, too. Wow. He delivered the much needed, like, heady, profound sci fi film that we've needed. Like, he did what we were hoping Interstellar was going to do. Like Absolutely. We've, we've been needing that really big, heady, profound movie, and we've finally got it. Like, hats off to him and the writer for being able to pull that off. I mean, as for just, like, the plot and everything goes, it's such a brilliantly written film, and it's such a great moral, and it was just, it was everything I wanted in a film. You know, I love sci-fi movies, and to see one so expertly crafted and delivered, yeah, well shot, just, like, everything about it was so good. Yeah, this I is really like the first time in a while he hasn't had Roger Deakins <clears throat> working with him, and right. he still was able to pull off, like, a Roger Deakins quality film. Right. Yeah, for real. Uh, that movie was so good. It was so, so good. I personally really like it when a movie is smarter than me. You know, I feel like that's like one yeah. of my biggest criticisms with Christopher Nolan. I mean, you brought up Interstellar, but like Arrival doesn't lay it all out for you. 
it's just a smart movie. I left the theater and we had to talk and figure out what happened because it's a smart movie. <laughs> I also feel like like good science fiction kind of reflects concerns over like the current state of the world and the possibilities of the future. I feel like Arrival kind of has a lot of elements of that. People could watch it, find their own worries or their own anxieties about the current world in what's happening in Arrival. Yeah, for sure. I never even thought about that, but it actually is like a really good snapshot, you know, kind of like where we are in relation to each other. Yeah, it's a great reflection. It's it's also not like too heavy handed in drawing those parallels either. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah, I love that movie. You guys excited for the new Blade Runner? (laughs) So excited. Yes. Yeah. In every way. I can't wait. I feel like Arrival is like him just dipping his toe to get ready for Blade Runner. Yeah. Hopefully. Cool. So yeah, Arrival was uh, Derek's number one. Okay, so my number one was Patterson. Whoa. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> what? It's I just because you were born in Patterson. Patterson. No, like, it was, like, such a special movie. Like, you're right. Do have a little bit of bias, and that's why I said before that like it was a very personal movie to me. You know, it's Jim Jarmusch directing Adam Driver. He's a blue collar man living in Patterson, New Jersey. His name is Patterson, <laughs> and he's just driving around on the bus, watching the world go around him. It's just so good. Um, if you guys could like indulge me for a minute, I'd like to read something to you. So in the movie Patterson, he's, like I said, he's a poet, and he's obsessed with another poet named uh, William Carlos Williams, who also has a book called Patterson. And I just want to read the first stanza to you guys from this book. Uh, Okay, so Patterson lies in the valley under Passaic Falls. It's spent winters forming the outline of his back. He lies on his right side, head near the thunder of the waters filling his dreams. Eternally asleep, his dreams walk about the city where he persists incognito. Butterflies settle on his stone ear. Immortal, he neither moves nor rouses and is seldom seen, though he breathes and the subtleties of his mechanisms drawing their substance from the noise of the pouring river animate a thousand automations. Who, because they neither know their sources, know their stills of their disappointments, walk around their bodies aimlessly for the most part, locked and forgotten their desires, unroused. So I'm sorry, I just had to read that to you guys Mm -hmm. because Shannon got this book from the library and she read it and then she read it to me and she was like, this is the main character. This is the movie. It's like Jim Jarmusch made a movie about this guy seeing the world going on around him. Everyone has a story and he has his own story. The movie just lets you be meditative, but yet it's personal and it's poignant. It expresses the importance of art and how every person needs expression. It's a soft movie, but it's lovely and it's emotional, but it's calm, and it's one of the most poetic movies I've ever seen. I just I just thought it was a really, really special movie. It had, just had to be my number one. Did you mention uh, did you mention the comedy as well? I didn't say anything about the comedy, but yeah, yeah. it is a pretty funny movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> maybe one like moment in that movie that's the hardest I laughed all year. It's the, yeah. uh, the, the mailbox resolution. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole movie questions the mailbox, and then you finally figure out what's with the mailbox, and it's really funny. (laughs) It's it's brilliant. 
Yeah. I never, so. I didn't get to watch that movie. That'll probably be like one of my next movies I watch. And that's the director of Only Lovers Left Alive? Yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive. Jim Jarmusch did that. He's done like a lot of great movies. Down by Law, Before Flowers, Coffee and Cigarettes. I was going to say, as a guy to look out for, but I guess people have been looking <laughs> out for him for a long time now. Yeah, I mean, there, he, he's got a handful of movies I haven't seen either, like Stranger Than Paradise and Dead Man with Giant Depp. Apparently has a, yeah. had a documentary that came out this year, Give Me Danger. Yeah. yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive was another one of my favorite movies from, I think that came out like two years ago. That's probably my favorite vampire movie ever made. He He's a very special filmmaker. I just feel like he makes movies that are just pure Jim Jarmusch. Like, yeah. Well, cool, guys. Um, that was fun. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we should wrap it up. Those were our top tens. Do you guys want to like just list yours out real quick? Just Yeah, I'll start. So my top ten. 10, Arrival, 9, Kubo and the Two Strings, 8, Manchester by the Sea, 7, Green Room, 6, Neon Demon, 5, OJ Made in America, 4, Jackie, 3, The Salesman, 2, Moonlight, and number 1, La La Land. Nice. Derek? Uh, yeah, mine, uh, 10 was Neon Demon, number 9 was Deadpool, 8 was Swiss Army Man, uh, 7 was Sing Street, 6 was Captain America Civil War, 5 was Hell or High Water, 4 was Green Room, Three was The Edge of Seventeen, two was Moonlight, and number one was Arrival. Cool. Uh, mine were number 10, Green Room, number nine, Hunt for the Wilder People, number eight, Manchester by the Sea, number seven, The Lobster, number six, The Handmaiden, number five, Arrival, number four, Swiss Army Man, number three, Don't Think Twice, number two, Moonlight, and number one, Patterson. I mean, real quick, uh, are there any movies that you guys just want to mention that we haven't talked about at all? I mean, I would like to just say Captain Fantastic was my number 11. I loved that one. Oh, wow. Oh, 11. <clears throat> I haven't seen that yeah. yet either. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was another one that I had, like, really high up there. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, for sure, was, like, mm. right around 11 and 12 for me. Don't Breathe was another horror movie that just blew me away. There was a couple smaller films um, that I wanted to mention. I guess Deep On is this um, film. I think it won 2015 Cannes Film Festival, and it wasn't really available at all until 2016. Um, and then another film I saw was The Wailing, two-hour and 45-minute Korean horror film. <laughs> like, I heard that movie's amazing. It is incredible, and um, it's in my top 15. I thought it was actually a really good year for horror also. Shout out to The Witch, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. And um, I also really liked Southbound. Oh, yeah. Southbound was really good. Um, also, Zootopia was my number 12. What? Oh, yeah. Zootopia was really good. I um, love Zootopia. Oh, I want I wanted to say Tower, too. That was a documentary that came out this year, but it was like filmed in the way of Waking Life and Scanner Darkly. It was like really powerful and emotional. That was that was a great documentary. Definitely the best documentary under seven hours that I saw this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Sure. I, I will agree to that completely. So, <laughs> well, um, it was really great doing this with you guys. I guess we should just uh, say goodbye and sign off. All right. All right. That was really fun. Can't wait for 2017. Yeah. I mean, it's already shaping up to be a great year for movies. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like, if any of the movies that have already come out make our top 10 for yes. next year. <laughs> Derek <laughs> says absolutely. Derek already knows what his number one is going to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cheers, guys. All right. See you. All right. All right see you.